Alrighty. Welcome back to the Social Slap Podcast, brought to you by Dental, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. I'm Kevin Tobi. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Quinn and Alex Wilbur. We are recording Wednesday afternoon, which means we mostly have disappointing things to talk about, which is the Celtics collapse in Game 5, uh, the very underwhelming press conference that Imo Doka and Tomin Fertitta just had down at Houston. Um, and none of that is as important as what I want to start with, which is the passing of Heather Walker, the VP of PR for the Boston Celtics, longtime uh, part of that team who passed away after a, a protracted fight with cancer. Um, her team, the Heather Walker Fund, raised $600,000 for research at Dana-Farber. Um, obviously, we want to shut that out, but we just want to send our condolences to people who knew her, her family, her colleagues, and her friends. Um, Justin and I met this person briefly. They were always pleasant and professional. Justin, do, do you want to hop in with any of that? Uh, well, you know, in the world of NBA journalism, it can be hard to get a busy member of an NBA organization to help you with a request. And she was always very, very kind and got back to me regularly uh, without any problems. Uh, I never met her in person because I'm here in Mexico. Uh, but, you know, for someone who probably got buffeted as much as she did with as many requests as she did, the fact that she could actually be personable uh, in our interactions was a very nice thing to run into. Not that anyone in the Celtics organization isn't. I'm just saying I know what they go through. And her job was not easy, but she was always very, very nice. So that's the only thing I really have to add to it. Uh, I'm really, really sad that she passed and really, really impressed with what she was able to do for others with her activism in support of the disease that she had while she was dealing with it. Sure. So our thoughts are with the Walker family and the, the Celtics family. And I think we we wanted to keep the, the frame that it's the first round. Let's not lose our cool. But certainly, given that there are more important things than basketball, let's, I don't know, keep that frame in mind. How's that? Um, Alex, how are you? Haven't seen you in a while. How's the, how's the, um, what's your, what's broken with you? Your ankle? Uh, my ankle is pretty much healed. In fact, I played basketball on it last night for the first time in a few weeks. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm okay. I've had, I, listeners may have noticed I've been absent from the last few pods. Um, I had some family stuff going on, uh, which was also not super fun. So, um, I'm, I'm kind of recovering from that, but, uh, I'm okay. You know, things are looking all right. Let's, there's much more important stuff than basketball, but let's pretend like it's the most important thing in the world for the next 20 minutes. Um, and by 20 minutes, I mean, this is going to be pretty brief. We, we have our thoughts uh, and we will stick to them. How's that? Last night, the Boston Celtics were outscored 37 to 25 in the fourth quarter, including a 20 to six Atlanta run down the stretch to blow game five and a chance to uh, advance to the Eastern Conference semifinals. The action now shifts to Atlanta, where Boston will hope to punch their ticket to go play Joel Embiid and the Sixers with a win. Otherwise, there will be a Game 7 in Boston on Saturday. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but certainly NBA champions have played Game 7s in the first round. So even if the Celtics lose on Thursday, we can we can try to keep it cool. Regardless, um, we have some profanity in our notes. We have words like massive. And our notes, um, I think we know the scale and the uh, of what happened and the emotions, but Justin, um, well, I'm going to keep talking just for a little bit because Justin and I had a funny exchange during the game, which was I was writing the recap and we were talking about how it was a snooze and no one cared because they were ready to play for the Sixers. 
And I said to Justin, probably in the third quarter, I'm probably done with this thing. And then later I said, I hope I don't have to delete this thing. And then I said things like, I think I'm just going to add a line or two about Atlanta's valiant effort. And then why I, is why is Blake Griffin in the game? All kinds of other fun. And then uh, it turns out that I deleted almost everything because the Hawks erased what had been the story and wrote a new story, um, including, and I'd like to come back to this, Trey Young, give that man his flowers. That was, that took two big stones to pull that one off. And uh, they brought them both. How's that? Okay. Anyways, Justin, I wanted to let you talk. Um, what were your thoughts as we were DMing down the stretch of this game? Uh, my thoughts were that they were going to remember the importance of the situation they were in and take care of business, and yet that never happened, which is the real reason we're here to talk today more than anything else. Sure. Alex, I know you have a laundry list of blame to assign. Oh, yes. Uh, um, let, Justin and I, I'm sure, have our own thoughts, but I'll give you first bite of this apple. If you had to assign blame uh, emotionally or uh, empirically, where would you start? Well, I'll tell you where I wouldn't start, which is with uh, the Boston Celtics role players and bench, who I thought actually played pretty much fine. Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Al Horford, uh, Sam Hauser, Robert Williams. I think all of those guys made meaningful contributions to what should have been a relatively easy win. Um, and I want to give some respect to the Hawks. You know, I think that they are they are better than I thought that they were going to be at the beginning of the series. Um, I think they've made a pretty impressive effort. But if we're going to play the blame game, then I think we have to start with four particular members of the Boston Celtics. And uh, it's unfortunate because I would argue that these four members of the Boston Celtics are probably the most important members of the Boston Celtics. Um, we will start with a guy that I admittedly have been one of the more vocal defenders of for most of the year, Joe Mazzula. Um, Joe? I think you have largely done a fabulous job coaching Boston Celtics through a pretty bizarre situation. I think that their record reflects that. And I think your body of work largely speaks for itself as being quite good. That being said, you should not play Blake Griffin in the fourth quarter of a closeout game, particularly when the lead is only 10. That struck me as an extremely cocky and arrogant move in hindsight, something akin to, oh, we've got this. Let's give the fans a little treat and throw Blake Griffin in there. The lead was only 10 at that point. Blake Griffin came in and made a couple of hustle plays, but did not score once, and in general was targeted pretty relentlessly on the defensive end. Uh, another issue that I had with Joe Mazzulla's coaching last night relates to the second person that I will be assigning some blame pie to, and that's Marcus Smart, who I love and respect and trust and think is immensely valuable to the team. Uh, I have no issue with Marcus Smart continuing to be the starting point guard for the Boston Celtics. I think he's been very good in that role. Marcus did not have a good night last night, and it was mostly self-inflicted, uh, particularly in the last six minutes of the game when he checked in uh, and drew a defensive foul in one of his attempts to draw a charge rather than, you know, playing regular defense, which the situation called for, threw the ball away twice, uh, and in general just looked completely out of sorts and disorganized when it came to running the offense, which is his primary function on the floor. So, Marcus did not have a good game. Uh, he did not look good at the end of that fourth quarter in multiple critical junctures of that game. And if you're Joe Mazzulla, 
you have to pull him at that point because his play was bad enough that it warranted him not being on the court. Malcolm Brogdon is here for a reason. He is here to organize the offense, particularly down the stretch in close games when uh, other players don't have it. Marcus was not supposed to be on the floor last night, and I think he's a large part of why the Celtics lost, but he's not the only part of why the Celtics lost because as is the case with everything Boston Celtics, win or loss, they are driven in particular by two guys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, both of whom I thought were having perfectly fine games until about the seven-minute mark of the fourth quarter, when they proceeded to inexplicably fumble away multiple chances to put that game away. Jason Tatum, my guy, you need to stop going into clock management mode when you are the best player on the floor. There were too many possessions in which Jason Tatum was just dribbling out the shot clock, looking around, making sure to play it safe, try and not turn the ball over, and lo and behold, he ends up either turning the ball over or missing shots with no time left on the shot clock in awkward compromised situations that lead to leak outs, fast break points, et cetera, et cetera. So Jason Tatum, despite having a pretty stellar stat line, I thought was not particularly engaged on the defensive end. And I think he also did a pretty poor job managing the offense and uh, kind of guiding the Celtics down the stretch of that game. He didn't really step up when he probably should have and needed to as the leader of the team. And Jalen Brown, you know, initially I thought was going to be pretty hard to criticize. Jalen Brown, for the most part, had a pretty stellar night last night. He shot the ball well. I believe he had 35 points. He was, in general, making great plays. He was being aggressive. He was getting to the free throw line. Like Jalen Brown did a lot of work last night to put the Celtics in a position to win that game. And then he spent the last six minutes of the game driving into a crowd and turning the ball over, which is something that Jalen Brown has struggled with at times during the playoffs and during the regular season. There's one area that Jalen really needs to improve in as a player. It's his decision-making, particularly when he gets ahead of steam and starts to kind of lose control of these possessions. All in all, I don't think any one of those parties is particularly more responsible than the other. I, I would quarter the blame pie out one nice fat quarter for each of them. Uh, but I do think that in general, the big problem with last night is that the Celtics three most important players and their head coach all had a brain fart at the same time with seven minutes left to go in the fourth quarter and a 10 point lead. That is not something that you want to happen in the postseason. Now, it's entirely possible that the Celtics will rebound and win the series and go on a nice long postseason run. We have seen teams like the Milwaukee Bucks uh, and the Golden State Warriors have inexplicable playoff fumbles in games that they should win, needlessly extending series, and then they end up holding the trophy at the end. So I am not particularly worried as a sky is falling moment. It's more that I am frustrated that we're seeing the same tendencies that caught up with the Celtics in the finals last year rear their head in round one against a team that they really should have taken care of. Yeah, I don't have any truck with everything you said other than a little bit of the blame pie distribution. I think the connection between those events that you just described is also important because we know two things tend to happen when other things don't happen. And what I'm saying in regard to that is that when the people who should be managing the game, the people who should be shouldering the majority of the responsibility, which would be your MVP candidate and your head coach, 
when those people aren't doing their job, it's very, very normal for what we have seen from the Celtics and from NBA players in general for the next guys up to try to take care of the situation. We know what happens when Marcus Smart tries to save the game. He either goes wildly successful beyond any ability to comprehend it or what we saw last night, usually not quite so bad, but generally. And whenever we see Jalen Brown running into traffic like that, it's because no one else is setting him up to succeed and no one else is doing anything to succeed. So he's trying to take control of the game. So I do put a little bit more, like you said, that Marcus Smart's natural role should be moving the ball up the court. But instead we have Jason Tatum walking the ball up the court nice and leisurely. And well, we saw how that went. And we see everything that's unfolding. And like for real, I very much approve of Joe Missoula's letting them figure it out in the regular season. It's not the regular season. They either figure it out or you step in because now is not the time to be teaching on the fly. So that's all I have to say. Yeah, I'll just punctuate that a little bit and then we can uh, move on. Um, yeah, Alex, I, I think the the assessment that you offered is fair insofar as Hauser had a good game, White had a good game, Brogdon had a fine game. Um, Horford, I'd like to see Horford score more, but five blocks. I mean, Horford was doing a lot of work on the other end. Robert Williams continues to be unbelievable in this series. Um, the Marcus Smart experience gives and takes, right? Uh, there there are always going to be games where he does the the storm isn't in the teacup and there were a couple plays uh, down the stretch here where like fouls were really not great foul calls on the part of the ref and if that doesn't get called then it's a hero play and that's just marcus smart so we're all in on that experience at least this year so i I, i'm not going to fault him too much i think joe missoula is like flip-flopping between white and smart almost like going offense defense is just like the wrong call i think that smart is a rhythm guy and he needs to know that he's going to get his burn last game he didn't really play in the crunch time he only played once the, the game was sealed and i'm sure he noticed that and so then taking him in taking him out taking him in it's just like not a great way for a frenetic player to to find their footing so either roll with white and or brogdon or roll with smart and or brogdon or uh figure something else out because that's just not the right way forward. Blake Griffin checked in the game uh, around the 10 minute mark in the fourth quarter. And he didn't leave the game until four minutes and 30 seconds to go. Boston was still up eight. I mean, the, the score didn't change much, but unless you're telling me that Robert Williams or Al Horford are hurt, there's that is inexcusable. Also Grant Williams. See you later. Clearly you don't play for the Boston Celtics anymore. Um, because if, if, Joe Mazzulla is that cocky. That's another conversation. I truly think that he thought this was the right strategy insofar as Horford and Rob weren't playable down the stretch and his most trusted big would be Blake Griffin, um, which there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I just can't believe that that would be the case. And Blake was fine. He had a few rebounds. He had a few dumb fouls. He does what he can. Um, he tries really, really hard. Tatum didn't hit a shot in the final seven minutes of the game. Uh, and his last shot attempt was a 28 foot three unexcusable. You're the best player on the, on the court by a mile, or at least you're supposed to be. If you're going to be an MVP, guess what? You're the most valuable. Take the most shots. He had some nice assists. That's not uh, wrong. And it's not like Atlanta's not highlighting him on defense, but come on, Taco J, you need to be the, the tail that wags the dog here. And Jalen Brown, I'm sorry, dude. 
tighten your handle up or give the ball up because these fourth quarter turnovers are inexcusable. It's just not fun for anyone anymore. It's game five of the first round. Boston's going to win game six. I'll guarantee that. And we'll move on with our lives. But the boogeymen that we just saw are scary because uh, Trey Young is not going to have 38 points and 15 assists again. He's not going to make you uh, punish you again with like one of the chestiest shots I've ever seen. The Celtics are going to escape this round okay, but they need to internalize these lessons. Um, but other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, the play was fine. Let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel. Uh, Grand Slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and official partner of Major League Baseball. And new customers and mass can get in on the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you play your first $5 bet. Just sign up at fanduel.com slash Boston. Finally, you can bet all your favorite sports from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. The segment is just turning into are the Red Sox good or not? And uh, I don't know anymore. They're fun. The Red Sox are fun. Uh, they probably won't win much this season, but baseball is wonky and they could get hot. I'm really, really enjoying watching them play. Um, Verdugo as just like a cult hero is really fun. Yoshida. There's yeah, that guy can hit, huh? That dude can actually hit the ball. What is it, seven seven game hit streak now? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's not just baseball, but um, it's, it's springtime, so we can't help ourselves. Make sure to bet on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make every moment more. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. 21 plus or older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. A bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. You can see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Gambling line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Game six is on Thursday. I am, again, I'm just going to guarantee Boston Celtics are the better team. They're going to win that game. The moment is too big for the Hawks and the Celtics are too big to fail. Uh, I don't have a hat. I'll, I'm not going to eat a hat. I mean, I'm, there's a game seven for a reason, but I'm pretty pretty sure as far as guarantees go that the Celtics are going to win this game. Justin, what are the keys to success here? Well, the keys to success are having the, the host of the Celtics Lab podcast call the series in six games, which we did. Uh, it's got to be one of the worst, I told you so, as I can think of the, of a non-political variety that I can think <laughs> of in quite some time. Uh, the keys to the game are defending like a top five defense and playing offense, like a top five offense. Because now that they've given them some life, they're getting De, uh, DeJounte Murray back and they're doing on their own home court. They're going to need to play one of their better games of the year to get out of this without a game set. And I'm fully confident they're going to win the series. But for the reasons that made us predict that six game series in the first place, they need to not be that. I mean, we're looking across to the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James getting the bear poked by Dylan freaking Brooks. But unbelievable. Yeah. But we are watching the same kind of a thing unfold with, with Jason freaking Tatum saying, yeah, we're not going to, gonna make this harder on ourselves and have to play extra games and then immediately goes out and does it yeah a lot of great lip service from the celtics they are very good at saying the right things 
the execution is still a little disappointing. Um, Alex, what's the key to success for closing up shop against the Hawks, if not in game six and game seven? So I think the key to success is honestly fairly simple, which is that the Celtics just need to defend the three ball better than they have been. That really has been make or break for Atlanta. When Atlanta hits threes, their offense gets in a rhythm. They become pretty difficult to stop. And um, the Celtics, I think, start playing the three ball a little bit more aggressively, not in a way that benefits them, but in a way that leads to rushing, missed shots, et cetera, et cetera. So I think for Boston, as with all things, it starts at the defensive end. And in particular, um, it starts with getting the ball out of Trey Young's hands and in particular out of Bogdanovich's hands as well. I noticed that he hit a number of fairly important shots to not necessarily down the stretch, but to keep Atlanta within striking distance in that game. Um, I think in general, the deal just has to be, they've got to close out a little bit more aggressively on Atlanta's shooters and they've got to trust their rim protection because Al Horford, Robert Williams, Derek White, they're doing their job as far as closing the rim down. They're making it difficult for Atlanta to score inside and have been all series. Boston's perimeter defenders need to do a better job of getting out on shooters, preventing easy open looks. Uh, and in general, just kind of disrupting their shooting because everything that Atlanta does is completely built on outside shooting. And if their shot isn't falling, they fall apart. Yeah, the way Atlanta dismantled Miami in the play-in suggests they could win inside if they went all in on that, but you can't do that against the Celtics. And the Celtics drop defense is really interesting. I mean, they really did secure the paint for much of the game. But Alex, to your point, once the three-point shooting like really clicked in for the Hawks, Boston panicked and then they were neither defending the rim or the three-point shot atlanta shot at like 46 percent from three or something in that game i mean that's that's pretty hard to beat no matter who you are in the nba um but certainly it it doesn't help that Dejounte murray is coming back because atlanta just has you know another look in the backcourt and a little more dynamism there so yeah, boston just needs to tighten up i mean that this was a game they lost with i am thoroughly impressed by trey young i find myself so excited about where he might play next or how they might reinvigorate the Hawks because he's such a great entertainer. Um, I wouldn't want him on my team because he can't play defense, but he's got the charisma, he's got the smile, and he's got the, I'll say it again, he's got the stones. Um, so the Celtics really need to to deal with that because he's playing like the best player in the series and arguably the Celtics have two or perhaps three of the best players in the series that that really should be taking control of things. All right. Let's welcome in our listeners who fast forwarded past this part. And now they want to talk about the Sixers because we're trying to give this a good shelf life. Let's take my guarantee um, and assume the Celtics are still moving forward because statistically it's very, very likely that they will advance even if they don't look great doing it. They will eventually play the Philadelphia 76ers at home. They'll have home court advantage in the opening round of the playoffs that could be as soon as saturday or as late as monday i believe those dates are correct what do we think about this series i think celtics celtics fans celtics blog boys were uh, feeling themselves a little bit uh, assuming this matchup was going to happen and assuming that it was going to be a cakewalk for the celtics um alex i'll go to you first on this one you change your tune at all around the eastern conference semis are you still feeling good about boston versus philly i mean i think I'm feeling good with the caveat that I'm feeling good if Boston does what they're supposed to do and plays to the level that we know that they're capable of. 
I really do think that most of this series is going to come down to will Boston make themselves uh, into their own biggest enemy? Because, you know, I think the Sixers are good. I think that Joel Embiid is a really, really excellent, phenomenal basketball player. I liked what I saw from Tyrese Maxey in round one. I still have some questions about James Harden's health, but I know that that dude can get hot when he needs to. I just think from a structural standpoint, this Philly team is really not well designed uh, to face up against Boston. I think they have some trouble with big wings who can score and create for themselves. They've had that all year. PJ Tucker, I think, has only sort of helped with that problem because his offense is just so hit or miss. And Boston, I think, can and will basically give PJ carte blanche to just shoot away uh, for a lot of this series. I think Tyrese Maxey physically is going to have a really hard time with some of the Celtics' bigger guards. Um, and, I, you know, Tobias Harris is really volatile and has been all playoffs and every playoff series. And, uh, you know, there's obviously the, the big questions about Joel Embiid's health. I think in general, the Sixers have more questions than the Celtics have at this juncture. But I also think that the Celtics are capable of taking their foot off the gas and playing inexplicable, lazy basketball. And against his team as against a team as talented as Philly, you really don't have that same margin for error that you do against a team like the Hawks. So I think it's it's largely within the Celtics control. If they play to the level that I think they're capable of, I see them handling this Philly team in six or less. Um, if they take their foot off the gas, give up stupid games, have fourth quarters like they did last night, this is going to be a seven-game dogfight because Philly is super talented and they can win those games. Yeah, I think uh, similar to how people were disrespecting the Atlanta Hawks series uh, in a way that made me very uncomfortable, even after, you know, kind of getting browbeaten for taking six games for the series that we are now looking at. I'm similarly uncomfortable with some of the discussions that are going around in terms of, hey, the, the playoff path to the NBA finals is opening up for the Celtics. Look at the injuries to Joel Embiid. Look at the injuries to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, guys, I don't know if you remember the New York Knicks and how fun it was to play them, uh, particularly before they were feeling themselves and thinking they could actually make a real run. They are uniquely equipped to beat the ever-living crap out of not the healthiest front line in the NBA with the Celtics uh, in terms of their ability to avoid injuries, in terms of the mileage put on their legs, and many other things. So when you take all those things and put them together, even if the Sixers are dealing with a banged-up Joel Embiid, they are very capable and a much better team than the Atlanta Hawks even without Embiid at all, never mind Embiid on the floor, which... Frankly, even though it should make him harder to cover, I wonder with the Celtics team, if they see something like this in front of them, if they hear about how banged up Giannis is or how banged up and how awesome and open the path to the NBA Finals is for them, they could very well be a second round exit. They, they, they can maybe get away with one game, maybe one game like they played several of already in the series against the Hawks with wins in some of them. So ultimately, when looking ahead to the, the Sixers uh, series, I think the the way that it should be approached is that this team is dangerous and can easily beat them even without Joel. Yeah, the, the Celtics at this point have set up themselves. There's no room for margin for error because if you give them that inch, they're going to take it. 
um, the theme for this team has been they'll beat themselves if you let them. And look, they have a chance to go to a third Eastern Conference finals in whatever, three or four years with a third coach. So maybe it's the players. Maybe it's bad juju. Maybe it's not enough of a sample size to like actually make a trend line out of this. But there's something about the Celtics team that they are just fallible. The the variability that the three-point shot introduces into the NBA and how good the NBA is needs to probably be better understood. It could just be the case that the, the seven and eight seeds of the 2020s are statistically much, much better than the seven and eight seeds of the 2000s. Uh, so let's give, you know, the, the Lakers and the Heat and the Hawks their credit. But I don't know. Let's pause the action and talk about our friends over at BetterHelp. It's an online service that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. It helps connect you to uh, an online therapist. Therapy is all about deepening self-awareness and understanding. One of the things that I really like about this podcast, so Justin and I write for Celtics Wire, and good writing is clear thinking made visible, as they say. And sometimes you don't know what your thinking is yet. You have emotions in your head, and it can be really helpful to hear yourself think out loud as someone who's done therapy the most valuable part is getting to hear yourself talk um no offense to therapists and the you know the things that they support but i the thing that i found I most helpful yeah um they're good we got two ears and one mouth for a reason right uh so I, I think talking is a really really great way of of making sometimes confusing thoughts either about basketball or about personal growth or about difficult times with your family um Talking about it can make those thoughts a little more real and easy to understand and a little less scary. So uh, we, we really are, uh, this is not lip service, we're really happy to partner with BetterHelp. We think it's a great service and we, we want you to consider using it. Again, it's entirely online, it's convenient, it's suited to your schedule, it's supposed to be flexible. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and importantly, at no cost, you can switch therapists if you need to. So discover your potential at BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com selflab and get 10% off your first month that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash self lab. All right. Two more things on the agenda. One, I want to talk about this Udoka press conference that just happened. Let's do that at the end because I'll probably just complain until Justin cuts my mic. Before that, let's just go around the NBA because these playoffs, if you don't have skin in the game, these playoffs have been so fun. So um, let's each do like 30 seconds on, on each matchup just because we haven't gotten to talk about them. Um, and some of them are fun. We got to start with the most fun. Jimmy Butler's Miami Heat are up 3-1 against the Bucks. I'm selfishly going to keep talking just because that's the best basketball game I've ever seen, an individual play. Uh, not necessarily true, I'm sure, statistically. But the moment, the what did you drop, like 24 in the first quarter, kind of shied away and then just roared back in the fourth quarter. Caleb Martin was great. Kyle Lowry was great. But Jimmy Butler was just making faces, making shots and punishing. My goodness, we knew Chris Middleton was bad at defense, but what the hell was that? Uh, we know that all NBA first team guard Drew Holiday is very good at defense, but Jimmy Butler did not care. I am enjoying that series so much. Uh, make Jimmy Butler the goddamn president of the United States. Justin, what are your opinions on that series? <laughs> well, We've been talking about it since that happened uh, about, you know, there's been plenty of chatter like, oh, thank God we dodged the Miami Heat. 
but maybe we nope. didn't, right? And even if they don't advance, uh, like I was alluding to the Knicks, the alternative is not that much better. Uh, what this is making me think, and this is you know touching on the whole seventh, eighth seed being better than they used to be in the past. The three-point shot is giving teams the tools, even if they aren't that good at it, as long as they have a couple who are good enough at it, that if they get hot in the right time, that with some good junket-up defense that Eric Spolster is a master of, or Tom Thibodeau, for that matter, uh, then you can put a team in a in, in position to defy expectations, as we just saw with the Celtics and the Hawks. So what I'm learning from this series, more than maybe any other, is Treat every goddamn team in front of you like they can beat you because maybe they can. Well said. Alex, any thoughts on the series? You know, Jimmy Butler is just a, one of the biggest dogs in a whole league full of them. Like, this guy is – I mean, he's just an astonishing basketball player to watch. Every year, it seems like Miami comes into the postseason and people don't really take them seriously. I did not take them seriously this year, to your point, Justin. Um, and they just kind of trundle along. You know, they they chop out these wins. They're ugly. They're not pretty. They, uh, you know, they just find ways to kind of survive. And then the playoffs happen and the lights get brighter and Jimmy Butler goes off. It's crazy to watch. And, you know, like you're not you can't get 56 every night right like jimmy butler is a great great basketball player he's not that good but um what he is able to do is control pace of a game like a guy that i i don't think there are very many guys that can do that he came out in that game and basically scored 20 points in the first quarter just by himself single-handedly kept them in that game I think that got the rest of those guys going, that got your Duncan Robinsons going, that got your Caleb Martins and your Kyle Lowry's going. Um, talk about a guy who knows the moment and knows what he needs to do in order to get wins. I, I don't know. I think my my thoughts on that series are, um, I think the Heat are in a great position to close it out. And I I, I think at this point, they they might. I, I think they they actually might do it. But I think so much of it just comes down to that for a team that is as reliant on one star as the Heat are, it's pretty spectacular to watch Jimmy Butler be this kind of player. He's really, I, I think people are going to look back on him, whether he wins a blah, whether he wins a ring or not, as being a pantheon guy from this era of basketball. He's he was really excellent at every phase of the game. You brought up a point, and I know we're supposed to be moving faster than we are on, on, on these series, but two things that I wanted to mention. Uh, the thought occurred to me is if Jimmy Butler never wins a title, is he a Hall of Famer? And I am actually leaning with a yes <laughs> after performances like this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, which is less related to uh, what Jimmy Butler did, though certainly a part of it, is what are the Bucks going to do if they do lose this series? Because they can't really do that much to improve the team. That payroll is huge. Like, what are they going to do? They're going to run it back and hopefully it works. I mean, they, yeah, they have to bring back Middleton and Lopez because they just like financially can't do anything else. Uh, Jimmy Butler is a six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA third team, five-time All-NBA defensive second team, most improved player, and he led the league in steals two years ago. He has a gold medal. Uh, 
not I don't think he did anything in college of real description. Um yeah, I would think he would probably be a Hall of Famer. They'll let anyone in there now. Um but also Jimmy Butler balls. Um yeah, let's keep it moving. But man, I, I will say, Justin, to your point, uh, next round if the Celtics assuming the Celtics advance, I don't think they're gonna be outcoached. Uh, let that hang in the air. If in the conference finals, it's Tibbs or Spolstra. Boston will not have the coaching advantage. If it's the Bucks, they might. Okay. Uh, speaking of which, I guess we could keep. I mean, I got to get out of here soonish, but we could keep it moving. Um, Knicks and Cleveland has also been surprising. I mean, I guess everything that we were worried about for Cleveland is exactly playing out the way that we we thought it might. Uh, Mitchell Robinson. That dude is like Godzilla. Like he is just, I mean, the thing that we thought Cleveland was good at was being big and long, and that just has not been panning out. That's been a fascinating series. The NBA is a better place when the Knicks are good at basketball, and it's been so fun with respect to the Cavs. I'm really enjoying watching the Knicks succeed. Dr. Quinn? Where is Donovan Mitchell? Uh, To disappear in a game four like that is pretty damning, and I'm really wondering. Who is he, Jason Tatum? <laughs> Sick burn. I don't really have too much to Big add shotgun. to that series. I just thought it was going to be closer. Big I just want to give a quick shout to Tom Thibodeau. Um, that's that guy is an excellent coach. To your point, Cam, and I think one thing that I'm noticing about this series is kind of from the jump, they've been playing at exactly the pace that uh, Thibodeau wants for pretty much the whole series. He turned this thing into a nasty, ugly, brutish rock fight with a lot of big physical guys on the Knicks, just like tackling people out of the way for offensive rebounds, getting up in, you know, Evan Mobley and flustering him, making his life difficult, making things hard on Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Jalen Brunson. I, I mean, I can't think of a more perfect guard for the type of uh, system that Thibodeau is looking to run just pounds the air out of the ball, is able to get his shot basically whenever he wants, um, and really has assumed complete control of this offense, despite really not shooting all that well in the series by percentage. He just kind of salts you away. And even when he's not scoring efficiently, he's scoring enough and in a timely manner that it just kind of grinds the opponent down until the end of the game when they really don't have much left. He's a really brutal matchup. And I think he fits exactly what Tibbs is looking for in this team. So shout out to Tom. Uh, Excellent job. One of the league's kind of better coaches that I think because of a couple of bad rosters in the past has not gotten his due, but that, that guy's an excellent basketball coach. Alex being on a first name basis with Tom Thibodeau is hilarious to me. <laughs> All right. The West, the West will go. We we'll, we'll talk about the Sixers in the coming days. I hope I, I sincerely hope we are. It's our mandate to talk about the Sixers soon. If you catch my drift, it would be a fucking problem if we don't have to talk about the Sixers on the next episode of the podcast. Um, I don't think we need to talk about Denver and Minnesota. Anthony Edwards is legit. The Minnesota front office is not. That goose is cooked and Denver advances. Anyone need to talk about that? But they advanced to play the first second round matchup that we know of as of now uh, versus the Phoenix Suns. Should be an interesting series. That is going to be an interesting series, yeah. The Suns are so scary good. 
the Suns are good, but I have to say, I I really have not been as impressed by them as I thought I was going to be. I still have some pretty substantial questions about their bench. I think Tory Craig is playing really well, which has helped them a lot. But I, I really am a little concerned about their bench, and I'm still not 100% sold on Chris Paul's health or DeAndre Ayton's decision-making. I think that there's a lot of people who are saying that the Suns are going to steamroll to the Western Conference title, and I can see the argument for why, especially when Devin Booker is playing the way he is. This Nuggets team is pretty damn good and has been that way all year. I don't think the Suns are going to have a cakewalk in this series at all, and I think there's definitely a world where Denver just wins it outright. Uh, I, I mean, I, I want to show respect to the Nuggets, but who in the West has a good bench? Like, it doesn't matter. There's no there's no deep team in the West. Every team is, like, scantily four deep. The Lakers are maybe the deepest team. Yeah. <laughs> that's so wow. weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, Denver-Phoenix. I mean, that's they're just, like, very diametrically opposed styles. And Jamal Murray's quietly fallen out with the best of them. So I'm, I'm very I, – I agree that I, Phoenix isn't going to steamroll them. But um, I think their biggest problem is they they just they have too many talented guys. They don't really know what to do with it yet, and I think that'll come with time. But I don't know. We'll check in with that one. Uh, Phoenix beat the Clippers. Russell Westbrook valiant effort, but also like kind of choked like a dog when the team needed him most. So the Russell Westbrook train keeps him moving. Uh, the Lakers are up three games to one over Memphis. Man, when you put other teams in context, the Celtics look fine. Memphis has been what a just a disaster for that team. Get Stephen Adams out of there. Uh, bring him to a serious franchise because top to bottom. I mean, Memphis he got hurt and they completely collapsed. <laughs> yeah, but they also did a lot of other things that were problematic. Um, Dylan Brooks, I can't think of a more pathetic storyline than Dylan Brooks. Uh, this, he's been beat this up enough we don't need to the past few anymore. weeks yeah he's... we don't need to belabor it but oh my god <laughs> last time we're going to see that behavior from him i hope i don't know um it's astounding for the lakers they would play the winners of golden state and sacramento there's a path for the lakers to go to the conference finals it's crazy uh speaking of which golden state and sacramento are not at two to two people i'm sure have seen this stat but the the, their most recent game was the highest rated first round matchup in like 20 years for the NBA, which feels pretty good. Uh, who wins that series, Justin? I am actually leaning the Warriors just probably because of my own trauma from the NBA finals, but it really could go either way. It's just, can the Warriors actually win a home game is maybe as important a question at this point in the playoffs as can the Atlanta Hawks win two games in a row? Yeah. <laughs> Alex, who wins the series between the Kings and the Warriors? I think I was one of the voices in the minority saying that the Kings were going to win this series at the start. Um, and I really did feel that up until the Shams bomb that De'Aaron Fox had broken a finger in his shooting hand. Now, given the way that the momentum is playing and given uh, the injuries that the Kings are starting to pile up, I am starting to feel out a Warriors win. I think it's going to be close. Fox looks like he's going to try and play through it, uh, which, man, I respect the hell out of that guy. He is tough as they come. I am concerned about uh, what he's going to be capable of doing with a busted finger in his shooting hand, considering how much of the Kings offense is reliant on Fox 
transcendent greatness in the mid range um, and, you know, big time shot making in the fourth quarter. Um, I will say it's definitely not over for the Kings. I think they have a path to winning this for sure. I think that the Warriors are not an invincible team. Uh, Steph is playing great. Draymond is playing great. I still have questions about uh, the other guys. I have questions about Jordan Poole. I have questions about their bench. Um, and I, you know, they're they're capable of losing two of these next three for sure. But I, that Fox injury is just so brutal. And it's it's really hard for me to pick against the Warriors knowing that. Uh. I, I think I'm inclined to agree. And if I was rigging the NBA, which that's not a thing that exists, but I know people like to talk about it, uh, I would rig it. Wait, you're saying that late tech in, in game five against the Hawks was not a plant part of the league's plan to extend the series for more revenue? I'm sorry. I'm totally actually not being sarcastic. It's funny. Play. It's funny you say that because I, the thing that happens when you write about games is you, when the games are close, you're not watching that closely insofar as you, you know, you're, you're writing shit down. So I didn't see the, the data technical and, uh, uh, until... it, was a, it was a foul. Yeah, like, it, I, don't, I don't know if it, it was a nothing game. burger, but I it didn't yeah. like internalize how much of a nothing burger the play was until uh, later. Um, okay, we'll pause there, folks who don't want to hear us talk about the Udoka stuff for whatever reason. Uh, you're welcome to not. Obviously, uh, we bid you an adieu. We thank you very much and rate, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. Rate and subscribe, and I'll I'll say it now. The Celtics slap podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wager partner of the CLNS Media Network, and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. Emo Doka is now the head coach of the Houston Rockets. He just had his introductory press conference. I'm actually reading his his comments for the first time concurrently, so I will react in real time. Um, and for Titus' comments, I heard right before we went on, and I have thoughts on that. Um, uh, Dr. Quinn, you've, you've heard what the Celtics have had to say, what Joe Mazzula had to say. Any thoughts on how Boston has handled Udoka's new chapter? Uh, I think they're trying to handle it as little as possible because they have other things they need to be focusing on right now. I think that they made the move with the interim tag with this moment specifically in mind because imagine, <laughs> imagine what we would be dealing with right now with the with a game five loss like this and uh, Joe being interim. And well, well, maybe they're bringing in Steven Silas, uh, which you know we could spent a, a fair amount of time on as well uh being in in the uh he was in house last night at the game yeah no he would be a good uh potential assistant candidate uh if at any point they decided they need one they need one uh but with all that said imagine if that had unfolded uh with everything else that could have been going on right now so i think they really did think about this in advance i think they did the right thing uh, those of you who are calling for Joe Mozilla to be fired, well, we've covered this many, many times. Bad take. Uh, and as far as the Udoka uh, hiring, people should get second chances. I don't know enough, and most of us don't know enough about the Udoka situation to say whether or not he deserves a second chance. But so when you get a second chance at things in life, oftentimes your second chance is not the same thing you had when you started. Now, it is a fair comment to say that the Houston Rockets are not going to be competing for a title almost certainly next season, but they could be fairly soon. And there are only 30 NBA head coaching jobs in the entire world. And it is a privilege and an honor to have one. And if you screw it up in your first season that you have one, I am highly dubious of as to even if the general things you did were not that egregious, whether or not you deserve the trust to helm an organization in the immediate future without 
spending some time as a professional in the league in another capacity, earning your way back up to this, the position you crapped away. That's my take on that. And to Doka's credit, this is what he offered in his press conference. He said he took leadership and sensitivity training. He said he went to counseling with his son and that he has realized the, the weight of how his decisions impact other people. So for folks who are saying to Justin, well, look, look, he, he has gone through the work. That's his side to it. He said um, that he released a statement months ago and he stands by that apology. He said the situation of the matter has been resolved and he isn't able to speak about it. Um, the Rockets themselves said they've done their due diligence on who Udoka is as a person, or Udoka said this about the Rockets. They spent quality time getting to know e each other. He spent the last offseason working on himself in a lot of different ways. Uh, Alex, before I, I go, you got anything you want to hop in on? Um, I actually think I'm less concerned with Ime's response. It stuck struck me as pretty boilerplate. Um, and I think with regard to the Celtics response, the same is true. I think in both those situations, like there's not much else that I expected either of them to say. Um, Ime, I think, is understandably coming into this Rockets draw, trying to, you know, put everything behind him as much as possible, focus on the future, speak to that effect in the press. Um, and I, I'm not really shocked by anything that he said. I think what distressed me more than anything was Tillman Fertitta and the Houston Rockets process generally throughout this, which um, I mean, I can't really speak to how thorough their investigation was, but I will say that I, I am inclined to not give Tillman Fertitta the benefit of the doubt, given his press conference today, which I thought was pretty shameful. Um, it included a lot of victim blaming. I think it included a lot of, um, you know, language that suggests that, um, you know, people's Christianity or lack thereof had bearing on whether they are like good people. I am myself am a Jewish person, and that definitely struck me the wrong way. Uh, and in general, I just think that Tillman Fertitta is and has been a pretty shady guy, you know, through his business dealings, through his support of various right-wing demagogues, not to get too political, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't particularly have much faith that Tillman Fertitta cared about this. And I don't think that he's done a particularly good job conveying to the woman on the Houston Rockets staff uh, that they have gone through their concerns and addressed them. He mentioned that he talked to a woman uh, in his press conference today. It's like, okay, great, congratulations. Have you actually done any of the due diligence necessary in your organization and vetted that to see whether your the people who work there are comfortable with Yudoka? We've seen no evidence to suggest that. And Again, this is me speaking completely biased. Like I'll be forthright and say that I'm completely biased in this matter. I don't trust that Tillman Fritita has done his due diligence on this. And I think that his statement led us to that. As for second chances too, Joe Mazzilla said that he is a product of second chances in response to this. And in the context that Joe said it, I think that makes sense. Joe spent lots of time in counseling, not just a few months. Joe spent years working his way into the coaching profession after the incidents he, he referred to, which were basically alcohol and violent related stuff that happened in a bar when he was still in college. Uh, so I think that there is a world where people can, you know, come back from the transgressions, but it requires a degree of transparency that may not even be possible given what ended up unfolding with the Celtics.
Yeah, I, I think I think the reason that Udoka's former players and uh, coaches are, are happy to say, look, it's good that he got another chance is because the suggestion that what he did isn't that dramatic. Uh, and, and maybe that is a fair read because we don't know. This is from Woj on uh, the Udoka scandal. An independent law firm uh, found that Udoka used crude language and dialogue with a female subordinate before the start of an improper workplace relationship with that subordinate, an element that significantly factored into the suspension. The investigation that the Celtics ran, the findings, described Udoka's verbiage as especially concerning coming from a workplace superior and contributed to what became an impossible pathway back to his reinstatement. The power dynamic associated with the superior's improper relationship with a staff member was the primary finding and policy violation cited in the, the law firm's report. Alex, to your point, Tillman Fertitta is not just running a, a really visible entertainment brand. He's running a workplace. And just because a woman who is in the C-suite or higher up said, I think it's okay, doesn't mean that women or really anyone who works there feel comfortable with how Udoka is as an employee in that business. So of course, people deserve second chances. And of course, it's possible that Udoka really has grown. Let's take him at his word. Let's give people that grace. I think Missoula's comments were fair uh, last night. But that doesn't mean that someone who made a, a violation at work, just because they said they're sorry and said that they thought about it really hard, means that hiring them is the right workplace decision. If I had a call, if, uh, you know, at work, they brought in a new teacher and I was like, well, they used to be racist, but they said they're stop, they stopped being racist. A, a press conference saying as such wouldn't make me feel better. So the, the work that needs to be done, not just for Houston Rockets fans uh, or basketball fans, but for people who work in that organization, I just don't think, and maybe there's internal stuff that we haven't heard about. I just don't think that work is being done. And, and that's the tough thing with the second chance thing. It's not like, Everyone gets a second chance and the, the PR doesn't matter. It's like, no, actually, you're creating a workplace decision. You're hiring an employee. And the way that you interact with your employees is very visible because you're an entertainment product. Um, so it's not that you owe it to us. It's not like the, the three Celtics lab amigos get the last word on whether or not this was a, a good press conference. It's just it doesn't pass the smell test of what you would want from your employer in, in ever, let alone in 2023. And that's what's so disappointing is, if Udoka says, look, I'm bound by the investigation and this is what I'm willing to share. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't want to say it again. That's weak sauce, but like, whatever. Maybe he's just, that. that's the kind of guy he is. That makes the Rockets flippant stance even worse because you hired that guy. He doesn't have to beg on his knees. He doesn't have to, uh, I don't know, like work for the rest of his life to rectify this wrong. But a little humility and contrition somewhere down the pipeline would be a nice touch, I think. And maybe every every person who works for the Rockets disagrees, and that's their prerogative as an organization and not mine. But I would hazard there's probably a lot of people who feel a little confused right now who work for the Rockets. There's no accountability that's really visible here because he basically walked right into a pretty good situation. He might be coaching Victor freaking Wimbiana this time next year. And Given the lack of accountability, any real, you know, verifiable accountability, going to therapy is not accountability as our sponsors for better help know. Going to therapy helps you and the people around you that you care about. Uh, so, you know, he, he lost some money, uh, but he's going to make more of it and he's going to have this really, really sweet job. I think in the future, the league should think about having guys return to the bench and being assistants uh, before just saying, well, whatever happened, happened. And again, 
we can't we can't belabor the we don't know actually what happened in that but what we do know didn't happen is any kind of real visible accountability in terms of the privilege of being an NBA head, co head coach yeah and do we even know if Udoka is a good coach like I said the Celtics went to the Eastern Conference before he was a coach. coach they might go again but is he is he that much better than all the other candidates was a good coach screw you over right before you were about to make a run in the finals? I don't know. That's a pretty uh, valid question, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, that's, now we're just spinning our tires. It's like, it's such a bizarre choice <laughs> because like, look, if fucking Greg Popovich turned out he was a, a, a bad employee to to uh, under undermine it quite sincerely, maybe, maybe, maybe a second chance is a little more obvious here, right? That That's cold and dispassionate and I don't like that conclusion but I could understand in a cold dispassionate world hello Tillman Fertitta that that might be how people uh arrive at decisions but I just I don't think Udoka is that good of a coach it's it's patently ridiculous anyways uh hopefully Joe Mazzullo is a good coach because Boston Celtics have a big old game Thursday night uh interestingly enough there's supposed to be a Janet Jackson concert uh at State Farm Arena at Atlanta that night and it's getting bumped because no one expected this game to be played. So sorry to the Janet Jackson fans out there. Um, Boston Celtics I, I saw that. I was like, what if people took the day off of them? I'm pissed. Anyway. Took the day off of a Janet Jackson concert in 2020. I mean, I don't know. I don't go to Janet Jackson concerts. We will not disrespect Janet Jackson on this podcast on any level. I am so sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm, uh, I, I take it back. I apologize. Um, I, I thought about it, and I'm better now. Um, Anyways, good luck to the Celtics. 8.30 tip, Eastern time. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. Yada, yada, yada. Adios.